Welcome to Wake the F Up Podcast, hosted by Alex and David Long, where we talk about living consciously and helping people uncover their essential self so they can stop sleepwalking through life. Our goal is to create a safe space where our guests can share how they decided to wake the F up and become mindfulness experts through their own emotional healing journey. Okay. Welcome to Wake the F Up Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Long, and our guest today is a Pilates teacher and expert, Morgan Palmer Bolton. Morgan has been a teacher of movement for more than 25 years, and she is currently a lead teacher trainer for Real Pilates. After experiencing the most powerful intersection of mindfulness and physical training in her own practice, Morgan got certified to teach mindfulness, MCT, in 2021. She's currently focused on creating continuing education content for Pilates instructors, re-engaging her dancing life, and enjoying time with her very young family. Welcome, Morgan. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm literally so excited that you're here. Thank you for having me. I can't, I'm so excited to be here too. You are so welcome. Okay, well, so before we begin, I brought you something, which my listeners can't see, but oh. if you tune in. It might be comical. I'm not sure if I love you. want me to sing. That would be a real tragedy for everyone listening. I'd like to apologize. I don't think anybody needs it, but thank you for the happy birthday happy treat. Birthday that is so sweet. Let's make a collective wish as a community listening and to you for an amazing last year in your 30s. Thank happy you. Birthday. Okay, you ready? Do you have a wish in heart? <laughs> okay, I'll blow for you. Ready? One, two, three. Okay, it's going to be a good year. I'll eat that cookie for you later too. That's so sweet. I uh, enjoy it. It looked delicious. Well, welcome on the show. Um, obviously, I've been trying to get you here forever. Morgan and I have been connected in the Pilates industry for a really long time. Um, we were actually in, she had been teaching quite some time before that. I had as well, but nowhere near the length that you had. And we were kindred souls from the get-go. We both graduated from Real Pilates. Um, I don't remember the year. 2014? I think we started 2015, graduated into 2016. Yeah, we're rolling on a decade soon. So um, tell us a little bit about your background. I mean, I don't sometimes know where to begin when I'm introducing you even to my students when you come to my studios because you're so vast with all the things you're doing. You've got a lot going on and it's all amazing. Thank you. Yeah. So um, movement is really kind of like the beginning piece. I was one of those kids that started dance at age three and I fell in love with performing and um, being on a stage and just being active in my body. And I pursued my dance degree in college. I went to Southern Methodist University and I had some incredible movement educators there that changed my perception on the body, um, how we express movement and joy and sadness or whatever it is through the body um, as a with the body as a mechanism to make art, right? So you can, you can tell when a dancer's joyous or when a dancer's sad, that's so much of what we study during that time. Um, so that crossover of emotion and movement started kind of around then. Uh, but it took me to New York. I started dancing professionally. I danced for a company up there called Nicholas Andre Dance for a number of years. Uh, I got really into choreography uh, prior even to my professional dance life. I had been on dance teams and teaching the summer camps for big groups of teams. So I've been in front of students teaching movements since I was a, a little 14-year-old bean. Um, <clears throat> but when I got to New York, I I was dancing, I was you know living the dream and I was getting paid for rehearsals. So I got to check all those boxes, but um, you still need to make money. And so I, I got involved in Pilates. One of the women in the company was like, you'd make a great Pilates instructor. And um, I went an old school route. I went to a studio where I took 10 private lessons and then I started teaching because I had enough movement um, mm. IQ, I guess, up to that point to be able to uh, impart knowledge and wisdom for those students. Um, and it was a great studio. It had been around like 30 years, old school Pilates uh, by the time I got there. And um, it changed my perspective. A lot of the students were in their 50s, 60s, 70s. It was about movement longevity and what can you do. And um, there was a point in a rehearsal where I was adjusting schedules and I kept having to move a schedule off of the student who was getting ready for a hip replacement. And we had done all this work up to that point. And I wanted to be with her more than I wanted to perform. And so that was a big uh, pivot moment to want to go into my teaching life more than just performative life. Uh, and then I just kind of took off on that that trajectory for a long time. Taught for big industry leaders. I've taught bar classes across the globe for different industry leaders. Um, I 
fell back in love with Pilates because the method is just so vast that you can go back to it like any good book and just dig in. Um, and teaching teachers is really where I found a lot of love. Uh, so I spend a lot of time now doing that movement education for educators of movement. Um, I still am affiliated with SMU. I go in and teach the dancers Pilates uh, from time to time. Uh, and and for now, the dance, is, the dance piece in my life is a lot about being with my kids and enjoying movement and feeling free in my body. And um, that's kind of the nutshell of where I started this movement journey piece, I guess, career life-wise. Yeah, it's so interesting too to think about. Um, well, I guess like as I'm healing and as I'm growing, we've been, you know, laterally working together for gosh, a long time. And mm-hmm. I always think like the way that you come into movement can be so different. Like for me, I was, I did dance as a, as a young kid, like I did ballet and jazz, the whole thing, but I was never really like super talented at it. So I think I stopped at a certain point due to like, so, you know, this is, society's expectations of like what you need to be as a dancer. I didn't seem to like fulfill Mm -hmm. those things. And I know I'm not sure I had the drive and I was always, and I still am like insecure and dancing free, you know, it's interesting. I just threw this retreat and we had a salsa dancer that the resort had provided for us. And so we were like, well, screw it. We'll add it onto the content. We're usually like pretty heavy (laughs) inner child wounds, (laughs) not like, but it was, it was such a moment because it came at the end and everybody was like, free and bumbling and figuring it out, but like just getting comfortable to make mistakes and be in your body was something I really didn't learn until Pilates truthfully. And so Mm. it's funny to think about how people come into the movement and how much it can change your entire outlook on your own self, your body, your life. Um, It holds you quite accountable for how you're feeling on the inside as well. I mean, have you always had an emotional connection to the self when you're in movement or is movement more of like, a freedom from the monkey mind? That's a great question. Um, I think I hit this realization somewhere in the past, call it maybe even two years, maybe since my son was born. I have a two and a half year old. Um, You know the story, but I had a a challenging birth with my first. And so I had a a V-back with my second. So I was able to not have a C-section the second time. And that was a big uh, mental hurdle victory. But I didn't realize until that stage in life that because I couldn't move well pregnant, um, that movement was the crutch I had always leaned on to solve the mental health problem mm-hmm. of, of needing peace and the, that ability to offshoot your inner state to just get the wiggles out. Honestly, it's really a lot yeah. about that. Um, but whatever emotive state uh, you can express yourself into or out of, and um, I think being in the dance studio is a place for me to do that naturally, um, and just be physical with myself. But that idea of like, um, mindful movement, right. You can create meditative movement just by focusing enough in yourself or on yourself or being in the present moment. And the body is a great, um, uh, anchor for that, right. You can go back to the, like, what am I feeling? What am I sensing? And that brings you back to that present moment state. Uh, and I think that high level dance training, we talk about giving yourself good class, that it, you have to be that focused to give yourself good class. And the teachers could tell the days where you were just kind of screwing around in the corner or you were giving yourself good class, which is being that focused, that present. Um, it's been a journey to bring that into not a perfectionist state, but a place of I'm staying present because I'm joyous in this state, which is really, I think, the root of it all. Like you said, I yeah. used to not wear a dress unless it would flare all the way out when I span, when I was spinning around, right? Like it had to have like that full dramatic thing. And so rekindling that sense of joy with movement over time, I think even like you said, you get nervous about it or so many of us in our culture just get boxed up about movement. We're not as um, uh, allowing the emotion and the body to integrate that deeply through freedom is alarming for many of us, but it's a, it's a pretty fun place to be. So I try to spend my time in that state as much as possible. So I love all the posts that you have. Um, and you guys can follow her. She'll, her socials will all be in the show notes as well as like all the places you can find her for movement modalities, such as Pilates and dance, um, in the Dallas area, but, and she's online as well. But I was, I was, I love that you post these like moments, raw moments with your children where you're just dancing and you're saying to the world, essentially, like, I'm going to take a sacred pause and I'm going to get down to this childlike place. And not only is it an excellent moment in motherhood where, gosh, we need to take more time to play with our kids, 
Um, but you really have to be practicing a lot of mindfulness and freedom there. And so I was wondering, like, how hard is it for you to be free? I mean, this is a loaded question, so bear with me. In motherhood, but more in your present life as a mother. So I find it to be incredibly yeah. hard with our ever-growing to-do list to stay mindful sometimes and play and like do that joyous time with the kids versus like the outside world. And maybe you're getting into the school world with your littles now, like it comes at you a lot. So I'm wondering if you can give the listeners maybe like, what is your, what's your easy integration with play in your home or dance, I guess. I mean, for, for us in our household, I think the fastest way to get into that happy state includes music. I mean, we've got records back here, but great music will always throw you into some positive state, right? Or, or maybe you don't need a positive state. Maybe you need to listen to something that is a little bit more melodramatic and you need to cry a little or whatever it is, right? Um, so I think music is a big uh, grounder in our household. We'll just turn on a song and that starts the dance party and we then have more connection that way. Um, and music, you know, music's so powerful. There's so much data in neuroscience about music and memory and linking you to states of your life and um, encoding memory that way. So I think that that's a beautiful thing to keep in mind when you're playing a song that you love and you're encoding memories with your loved ones in those moments. That's a fun little sidebar. Um, but specifically with play, I think we are hardwired to play. Um, I think as adults, we somewhere along the way, play becomes something that's a task. And so as a parent, we often think like, okay, now I must play with my child and now I must brush their teeth and now I must get them to bed. And, um, it's a check off the list often. And the difficulty is what a child wants to do or play can be pretty boring for us. Like it's not as stimulating for us because we've played with that Barbie before, or we've role played that situation a thousand times, or we've lived it over and over again. And for them, it's so brand new. And so, um, the more I put myself into my child's eyes, like if I'm seeing behind her face, what does she see out? Um, what's her experience? What is she feeling? What is she, the, the, the textures, the touches, the, um, the sensation that she's experiencing when I give her a hug to put myself in her shoes helps me be more present um, mm -hmm. because I'm experiencing it like she might experience. Uh, not that I want to, you know, create a, a whole other world that's not exactly her world in my mind, but. Um, no, that's really beautiful, actually. Like just thinking about yeah. in in the moments of parenting that are, I would say maybe mundane, like you can really just sit and be present to her experience and kind of absorb that. That's, that's really, I mean, because I think so many times we're like multitasking in the head, you know what I mean? Versus like being right there with them and, and seeing them for what they are in that moment. Yeah. I mean, we talked, we've talked about this in um, some of our continuing education time together when we're like batting ideas around after we've had a conference or something like that, but it it's a doing thing, right? Like, so I think we have a misconception in our culture, more Western culture, I suppose, of mindfulness is this like empty mind type idea or that mm -hmm. it's such a peaceful state and it's not, it can often be fraught and frenetic and, um, and difficult. And that is very much like training the physical body that we're building a muscle. So it's a repetition thing. And if you can remind yourself that you're playing with your kid and it's, mundane and boring, but I'm working on mindfulness and I'm actually going to use this as a point of time to practice. I'm going to build that attention muscle in this moment and sit a little bit longer in the, I'm uncomfortable. I want to get up and do the dishes because the kitchen's driving me crazy, but I'm going to let that fade and bring to the foreground what my child's experiencing. And then I'm a more engaged, loving parent in the split second. Um, and I think that we, it's possible for us to do that even by remembering it's just an exercise that's good for us to, to exercise from time to time. Well, I'm obviously I'm enamored with your knowledge base and um, I don't know, like I have many things to say and, and compliment to you. It was like <laughs> mind blowing. I think my seventh year of business ownership and I'm in the process of selling, as you know, um, Morgan and I obviously trained together and then she came to teach my students and it was just so profound what you how you've integrated a lot of different modalities into your work. And it really makes actually a ton of sense, but it's not always presented that way, you know, because the manual is the Bible. And sometimes we, it's actually hard as a young teacher trainer too, like 
to be like, I'm going to integrate this mindfulness into this amazing content without changing the work at all. Right. Mm -hmm. And it was so powerful to me. So I was thinking like, tell the listeners a little bit about your backgrounds. Cause there's, there's a lot to talk about. And I, you have a lot of areas of expertise, um, that you seem to do well ribboning them all together. At least what I can <laughs> Uh, it, it's a challenge. I don't, I'm not quite the like fitness bunny that, um, does like the half top and here's 30 squats and kind of thing. So it's been a challenge to find my place in the wellness space. I think the world is far more receptive post COVID of the things I'm talking about. Um, have been talking about for a long time. We understand how we have to move our bodies now. You can't get away with not going on a walk <laughs> or just basic things. Um, yeah. Uh, you know the mindfulness piece. The mindfulness piece. Um, integrating that component into this work is. It, it's almost funny to me because it's by its nature already in there. You know what I mean. And so we're talking about something that we're giving our own like pro section to that we're creating the boundaries of. It's actually this thing that you do, but it's a it's a fluid thing that happens in in our lives and we kind of bounce in and bounce out of it. I think it's helpful to know that it exists and we label it and we start to work um, towards bringing that into the fold. But yeah, the integration piece of all this stuff is it can be a challenge, right? To find your own voice in it, to find um, what your perspective is on that. And I think so much of that's going into your, all the pieces of yourself, right? That's part of my healing journey in the last couple of years as we've worked together is going back and picking up pieces of myself I sloughed off for whatever reason. And that's part of that's my dance life coming back into the fold. And um, I think when you go backwards sometimes to bring something back up, that's when that integration really comes up. You know, we talk with um, our young teacher trainees that the work really begins when you finish the advanced system and you go back into the beginner system and you start again. Um, And so I think... For so many of your listenership, like mindfulness, meditation, healing practices, wellness practices are for many something they've done for a long time, for many something that it's starting to become new or ingrained, but you're going to have to do it over and over again forever. It's not, it's one of those things that you're not going to hit the pinnacle of it. It's going to take you back to the beginner and show you where you, um, where there's newness or where there's new growth and that. It's uh, cool to think about being yeah. an expert in anything requires a minimum of 10,000 hours. And, um, you know, we both have that under our belt in terms of teaching and Pilates. Uh, for those of you that are listening that may not know, we teach uh, classical Pilates. And so under the umbrella of Joseph Pilates and Ramana Krasanowska is our lineage. And, and Morgan has a lot of different lineages behind her belt, some contemporary, correct? And then some mm-hmm. um, older lineages from different different branches like Alan Herdman, I know is one of your mentors and he's fantastic. And so what that really means is sometimes contemporary forms of Pilates. And this is a, sometimes there's not really like um, a rule book to play by all the way. We have a tighter rule book to play by in the classical world. And that's what makes us classical and um, not to get too much into this, but there's a lot of repetition and then repetition across most multiple apparatus is what it's called, but mm-hmm. people call it equipment um, in the day-to-day world. So it's cool. And that was the first mindfulness piece that I probably ever recognized other than maybe praying, like, you know, I grew up Catholic and um, I don't identify as Catholic anymore, but mm-hmm. <laughs> there's definitely like, I did have a sort of calmness in the repetition of things. And I was wondering um, when you're teaching your students, like, I feel like classical dance background, you've got a lot of repetition. And then that's, 10,000 hours of becoming an expert in something, you have to almost have a framework to work from to know where the body is in space and looking at it from the same angles, different days over and over again. I was wondering if that was as powerful for you as it has been for me, because it it really is how I've been able to learn about the body as a whole is to make patterns from the repetition itself. Yeah. I mean, we... You know, Alicia, one of our mentors, she talks so much about like, you just have to go out and teach. And that's really kind of what I said earlier. It's a doing thing. Um, you can sit there with your book and memorize all day long, but unless you're doing the action of the thing, um, it's just not the same. It's not the same. Trying to make your brain and your mouth and your body talk at the same time, thinking on your feet. Uh, so 
But I think that that's true with anything. You can understand something conceptually. Like I can understand how to meditate. And even in the last, let's call it six weeks, it's been a bumpier rhythm in the household. Um, I'm out of my uh, practice that challenges me. I'm doing enough to like skim the surface to not lose my mind on anybody, but it's not (laughs) the deep practice where it's, okay, I have to get really inquisitive about why is this uh, thing agitating me in the mindfulness work just like I would with my body? Like, why is my hip not working the way I really want it to today? And so we have to have enough of that deep dive practice time to then get bored or problem solve or um, run up against a wall and be frustrated. Like, that's part of the practice. And I think so much of our world wants everything to just be less painful, right? Like, less less frustrating, uh, more simple, because I think there's just so much coming at us all the time that we want that. But that deep dive, um, like slog of practice almost is really where the growth happens. That's really where muscle changes from a physiological standpoint. So it, it, it's not encouraging to me sometimes to hear like, you're going to just have to do it. But right. you really just have to do it because that's that's where that uh, the benefit really comes into play. Well, and I believe to be true that sometimes these repetitive things that we do to get to know ourselves um, are required in order for us to branch out and have freedom and healing in things that are a little bit more outside the box. Like at least for me, I need it. I need to know myself and how I respond in certain scenarios, both in movement, also in meditation. Like I have, I do better in meditation when I'm in a pattern. And I have an anchoring word because my mind is crazy. Like I need an anchoring word all the time so that I can, because my mom would be like, ding, 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 ding. And I know that the object is to not silence the mind in meditation. But I also, if I race off of thoughts, uh, I lose focus on just letting them pass by. The anchoring Mm -hmm. word helps a lot. But also in movement, when I have my footwork series, my hundred, and the things that happen on my reformer, it is just a prep for me to then play in the body a little bit. and so. In life, I was just wondering in general, um, now that you're like in expert and ready to like integrate all your things, I at least see your teaching staying so classical, but it feels so different to me. Like I was in your class in New York and was like, damn, just some knee stretches, things you did and like just certain movements. And so I was just wondering, like, do you get into play with yourself in creation every day? Like, are you moving your body every day? Is that sort of still your anchoring point, even when you're skimming the surface? Yeah. I, I don't feel right if I don't move some every day from, um, some more of like the FRC, uh, functional range conditioning type of, uh, the sport world. Um, they talk about if you don't run the entire joint space in your body, it doesn't map back up to your brain. And over time with cellular turnover, you effectively like lose mental awareness of your shoulder. It just bypasses. And so um, I try to, even if it's something small, just like move my shoulder all the way around the way the shoulder goes, roll my wrists around, get just joint mobility, right, is um, to maintain whatever mobility is already there. But for me, that often just involves, you know, some light stretches during the day. Or if I notice that I've been sitting for a while, I need to get up and I need to like do some old school hip circles and things start to loosen up and feel a little better. I don't think I paid as much attention to that in my, call it like teen, early twenties youth, but I beat my body up pretty hard, pretty early. So I felt more like a 40 year old and a 22 year old's body at a certain point. And then the respect of all of that came. Um, and so I think really through a lot of injuries that I've had, that breakdown of pattern is, is where I spent a lot of that time physically within my own exploration. Um, and I just don't feel right if I'm not in there somewhere. Um, I forget who coined the term. There's somebody on the internet, maybe we can put it in the show notes, but he coined some term, the soma knot. So I like an astronaut that explores outer space, the soma knot explores inner space. And that's, I've identified, I've self-identified as someone like that for a long time. Um, so on the days where I don't have that time in the morning or time to just ground myself in the afternoon, I have to do something. Um, and by something, it means sometimes it's like a five minute heavy metal song and I just run around the house and that's it. <laughs> and that, that counts. I want to watch you dance in the kitchen. It's like one of my favorite things that you do when you're cleaning your dishes. Um, 
because I think it's powerful. I'm actually, we, we, are, we have a lot of parallels. I always feel like you and I are sort of like in this odd, same mental space, same track, different mm-hmm. lives, different ways about it. But we were like running down the same track. But mm-hmm. I just did a, this retreat on, and I've been doing deep dive, major deep dive. Um, I'm studying under like Peter Levine and Deb Dana under um, cool. essentially the window of tolerance theory and trauma healing through somatic work. Um, polybagel theory really. And it's so interesting that, that I've done like, you know, you know, my story. I mean, you were there when my husband was diagnosed with cancer times two. Um, you know, a lot of times trauma and things in the body, I mean, trauma is stored in the body. And I just didn't realize how much that stress was really taking me to a space of dissociation. Um, even though I was in the movement world, you know, it's kind of crazy. I mean, to be honest, like the only thing I was doing was kind of autopilot for a long time in this past mm. few years, getting into that somatic work is really changed my life. And, um, I realized how easy it is to actually heal trauma. It's not always so cognitive. It, and you talked a lot about this, oddly enough, we were studying the same time and you were talking about afferent and effort response. And so I wanted you to maybe touch on that, how essentially majority of what we experience in the world is through our sensory system. And, and it's really like, I think, I think the, the quote is like 80% of what we perceive in the world comes from things we feel and see and perceive mm-hmm. around us and not so much our brain where we go to the brain first as a society. And I just, I thought maybe you'd touch on that a little bit. And then I want to circle yeah. back to your dance life. Okay. Uh, I love this topic. It's great. So observing, and I like to call it in my laboratory, right, as a researcher, because I'm not at all a scientist, but I'd love to think that I am an armchair neuroscientist or something. Um, In watching thousands of bodies move, going in the door of a fitness place, group fitness, private one-on-one, whatever you call it, um, you can start to pick up on who's in some type of an emotional state right? You can see like somebody who's dressed or they're tight or um, especially in the one-to-one setting when you see that person consistently over the course of time, you can tell when something's well, when something's off. Um, You can tell the days where they're hooked into their physical state and the days that they're not. Uh, So that, you know, you're talking about pattern recognition that has become something that is part of, I think, what we pick up on as teachers of movement to then moderate um, what it is that we may want to do with that student for the day. But um, your, your central nervous system from your brain out is about 20% of the activity for what we process, um, 80% of the rest of it's body backup. And so if we're spending all of this time only brain out, we're leaving so much on the table of what we're perceiving in our lived experience, right? So I talk about training for afferents. So many of us, whether it's because of emotional disassociation for damn good reason, or there's um, an injury, or there's nerve ending problems, or there's been a surgery or an illness or whatever it is, some part of the body is just kicked offline. Um, you, you can start to see that. And if we can train for that individual to start to sensitize to that region that I, I kind of call it like looking for black holes, right? So mm-hmm. where is that muscle tissue not working? And it's like, you got to screw your face up into a contortion to make it fire up, right? Um, the more you start weeding through all of that, even if you get nearby the problem, it's more information about the problem. Um, and then we can start to bring that back up and let the brain go back down with information. So I'm a big fan of the more we can get that individual to realize the body is going to give you information. I then have to do far less as an instructor during my hours because that person is picking up what their signals are throwing instead of what I need to throw at them. And that's the whole goal is to get the student to solve their own problem. Um, so, so powerful. Hand holding every hour, you know, that, well, that's not sustainable. Right. And I think it's something to, to talk about and not just for those of us that are teaching movement, but those of us who are just humans that we should tap yeah, into receiving movement, enjoying your body. We, yeah. Right. And black holes. I mean, like, I love what you say about black holes. It's so interesting. It's like, well, where do I not feel anything? Am I numb to my body as a general sentence? And then secondary, like that's, that easily is identifying that we are in a freeze response or dissociating for a reason we need to get out for some safety reason. And so interesting, Mm -hmm. like a lot of this work breaks down into two categories, emotionally speaking, that is like the body will either perceive the world outside of us to be safe and, and open for connection or dangerous and need to protect. And so it's like, 
that is so simple and so complicated that all day long we're making cellular decisions from the body to the brain saying, danger, danger, I can't connect here. Let me protect myself and put a survival skill on it yeah. versus like, hey, I, I feel like it's safe here to be myself and connect. And in that, it was really mind blowing. Recently, I realized like how many times in the day am I feeling safe? And am I a truly in right relationship with anyone? Right? Because if you're not safe, then like you really can't connect. And if you really can't connect, can you really have right relationship? It's super interesting when you start going down yeah, your little you're, You can still, I think you can still absolutely have relationship, but you're coming at a place from, um, or that experience is coming from a place of fear. And you're never going to make a profound positive life choice from a place of fear. You're going to make small life choices or safety life choices, which may be what needs to happen, right? Depending on whatever the circumstances are. Uh, as a kind of example of that, my car got stolen out of our driveway a few months ago. It took three months to get it back. It was a wild experience. I had accidentally left the key fob in the car with kid chaos and it was, you know, things happen, right? Um, And the conversations we've had about, do we feel safe here now raising our family? Like, has that changed? Um, And in some ways it has, in some ways it hasn't, but I don't want to make a choice of it's time to move until I feel very clear about I do actually feel safe or I don't actually feel safe here. And that requires introspection time. And I think the amount of check-in time we afford ourselves in our culture is um, we do it in big chunks. It's like, okay, I'll do an hour of this and I'll do an hour of that. Like it can be so much quicker. It can be a snapshot of a moment. Um, But to your point, right? that personal acknowledgement of, am I safe here? Am I not? Even just being aware that our brains or bodies are doing that all day long opens up an entire other perspective of what our internal lived experience is about. Like, I don't know, am I safe here? I haven't really considered that before. I actually feel not so much and I want to make a change. Um, well, and it's that's interesting that as a so you can, can you feel your body? Like you can feel like, cause it's nerve wracking, right? We've got cameras and we got all these gadgets going and you're like, Oh, I got to say the right thing. And I'm tracking and I'm thinking about like how I can highlight what you're saying to make it a great podcast and highlight the guests. And I'm like, even when you're on the receiving side, I think same. Right. And it's yeah. interesting. Like, what do you feel in your body while we're doing this? Like, where's the center that kind of lights up for you? Uh, it's right here. It's a little yeah, fluttery yeah. right up underneath my rib cage. Because, and, and, and so much of this too, for me, and from like the personal front, like the seeing what you have produced and put out in the last few years through the circumstances that you had has been such a profound, um, lighthouse of love, right? So when people are struggling, we've looked to your, um, how you are shouldering the life that is in front of you. And that brings hope and healing. And it's, it's beautiful. So I want to support you. And I think so much of my is just because we're here today, right? And we're, I'm excited. I'm happy to be here. I am so excited too, because I hope that the world will see, um, A, like if you need the best blood instructor ever in the Dallas region, virtually find Morgan. But more than that, actually, I think you've got some projects. Um, I'm not sure where we are on these projects, but some of the, we did, we do a lot of, um, I call it brain dumping in my, in my team. They laugh at me because they all like, be like, like vomiting up all these ideas. And I feel like you and I often will like jump on these calls every quarter and be like, ah. and so many things you said in our last call. Um, I guess I just want to follow up. So we'll talk back about dance. Cause I want to know um, the big question for me is why do you think we move? Why is dance so important for you? And tell me what dance means to you and kind of where we're going with Morgan's um, career mm. life. Maybe. Maybe. You don't have to answer the question, obviously. I love the question. And I think what you just said, so many times you just need somebody that's going to hold space for you and hype you up to be like, that's a great idea. Go do it. (laughs) So we've been that for each other. So um, thank you for offering me a moment to talk about this. So for me, dance is, it's an innate right. It's part of what the human animal is hardwired to do it may not be everybody's cup of tea, but it serves a biological function for us through evolution. And you talk about getting out of freeze state by um, 
mobilizing the body. Uh, if we need to get out of a fight state, we need to shake the body out. That's all embedded in dance, quote unquote, or movement in and of itself. You can resolve all of those problems under the umbrella of dance. And I think that that's really beautiful, particularly because you can add that emotional offshoot moment with it. Um, there's something really beautiful, especially with, sorry, my dog's scratching the door, especially with dance. Um, there's a rhythm setting, right? And so you're talking about that anchor of whether it's a mantra or something, that rhythm will bring you back to pace and that can help let some other tab spin off while you're holding a rhythm. Um, so to me, it's, it, it's air. I've tried to live life without it for a while. I haven't really performed much in a decade. It's not so much for me about performing now as it is that I have something to say and I want to say it after life experiences. I had a divorce in my late twenties and, um, started my mindfulness journey and I started actually the, the tapping things where you like tap mm -hmm. your nose and your chin. Like that was very grounding for me at that time. Um, and so going through this last decade of life where I haven't danced as much from a performative perspective, um, but I see the function of it now and I cannot, I, I, I do not live a happy life when I don't have it. And I know that that's true for many of us. Um, mm -hmm. I think many of us in our heart of hearts know that that we could maybe be happier if we allowed it more. Um, and so I, I think that that's part of my mission is to get people moving more in a way where they feel free and, and liberated, not in so much of a like woo-woo, let's just, you know, tra-la-la way, but it, it does something for our heart. And I think that that's the, um, the beauty of it. And that's part of what I want to bring back to the table. So I have some creative works that I want to spit out. I have some uh, dance outreach works that I want to pursue. Um, we'll see how it goes. You know, kids and chaos, it's always one slow thing after another. Um, but I'm okay with knowing that it might take time. Um, so many of us can be so impatient about like a new venture forming and it's, it's taking shape as it moves. And it's, um, I'm excited for, for what comes over the next few years. Though, right? Like one of the things that I have made a promise to myself with this business is um, launching a new business. My first business, I dove in so hard. So I actually opened up Grace Pilates with um, Carl had given me an advancement of his life insurance uh, as a gift. And so it was just, mm. the, there was like an, a subconscious pressure to give 110 all the time. And for me mm. growing up in a, with a narcissistic father, uh, that looked like a lot of burnout and overworking yeah. in a mindfulness modality. So I got to my myself around the pandemic time, I got very off balance. Uh, I got very off balance prior to that, but I got very off balance when we re-upped after pandemic. Um, and so it's just, it's interesting as I'm working through how I'm going to be as a boss to myself. Um, and I have a lot of people that work for me and, you know, obviously Jamie helped me organize this company. And I, I realized that I just, I couldn't and, and be in a push, 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 push state. And like, mm -hmm. for me, my nervous system is also constantly sympathetic. Often really, actually, I put myself in this odd state where I can be, I can comfortably live in frozen. We're really overwhelmed. It's a, it's a blended state between sympathetic state and overwhelm. I mean, in frozen. And mm -hmm. so but I can just be like, go, and in that I am yeah. moving a hundred miles an hour and accomplishing at what some appear to be a high level. And in the inside of me, I am like not connected to anything I'm doing. And I, I made a vow that I was yeah. like, this will be slow. I will take a long time to profit. And I'm okay with that, that I wanted to be heart centered and make this about true connection. And I think honestly, working from this space, although um, I, you know, the monetary gain is not like coming as fast as I, I would like it to, or whatever that means, but the former self of my <laughs> work style would like it to, I've, I've gained more from this project than I could have imagined. And, and I just, I encourage you as a mom, a young mom who works, um, I used to wear that badge of honor. Like I work and I'm a mom and I kind of thought that like just being a mom was a sellout in some degree, which I really want to apologize for mm. ever thinking. That. And I, I've been doing so much deep soul healing. And I realized like, actually, everything that I love the most in the world is surrounding the qualities of mothering. And that mm. I was like working with a shaman and she's like, you were meant to be a mom. 
like and break generational trauma for your lineage and you're meant to mother other people through grief and wellness and I was like shit yeah I need to re-identify yeah. like and we do as a culture like we as women actually and I think men I think men sometimes don't get it at all what we do and then most of the time they're like they're kind of scared of us because we do so much they're like I <laughs> <laughs> But I think that we need to celebrate the moms. And I think the moms who are working also need to really be celebrated because that's a multitasking hell that we all are struggling with. We're barely making it out here. So I'm proud of you. Take your time is what I'm saying. That was a very long-winded version to say. You're doing great. Well, so, okay. You are too. Well, well, thank you. And I love that you're, I'm also a solar plexus healer. You know, that's your power chakra, they say. And they say that that often comes from, an insecurity that we're not good enough, or that's really definitely my story. I don't know. Oh, I've got that in spades. That's fine. That's fine. (laughs) Isn't it funny too? Cause like you'll get a ton of feedback from the podcast. Like sometimes I'm like, we are more than enough. And in fact, like if we could just lay that story, I just had this guest last night who was like, um, she's her, it's miss HDIC is her Instagram high. Alethea Clemens and she was like Crimmins and she's like amazing. Okay. She was like, yeah, these inner tapes are just all the things people told us growing up that stuck with us, that reminded us that we weren't good enough and unlovable. And like, that's the voices we hear in our head 24 seven. And I'm like, and none mm-hmm. of them are really true. Right. Our brain, as you already said, 20% of what we're doing is coming from that. And I'm like, and that 20% is pretty effed up if you think about it, because it's not true. It's survival patterns keeping us safe. Yeah. And I, you know, seeing it being in the body space for so long, you see how long it takes. It's like four to six weeks or something like that for a cell to grow after consistent effort. Everything prior to that's neurological connection. So it takes time for this stuff. And so when you're talking about breaking habits that are so grained in your, in your brain, um, Sometimes you don't even know where they come from. They're just there. And but it's that awareness, it's that shedding light on that once you then become aware that it's there, then you can work around it or work with it or navigate it. But um yeah, it's that it's that consistent effort of habit breaking. And it I don't think we give I didn't I'll say it by myself, so uh, at least to myself, so it's not as a generalization. I didn't give enough credit for what mothering would take in that habit breaking, reset my pattern. So my child doesn't have a certain pattern. I don't come from a family of major trauma by any stretch, but I still have stuff. Like everybody yeah. has stuff. Yeah. I have things where I, I feel like I need to get the answer right all the time because my dad was a little bit more intense about decisions or answers and responses. Um, and I'm more of a people pleaser because my mom was more on the emotional side. So there are things that you maybe don't even notice until you have children or someone you're caring for or a life circumstance changes and hits you where you start to notice these things. But I mean, that's the beauty of life, right? It's, it's been there in front of you and you decide to, to do the hard work or, or continue to live the way that you were. Well, you know, we're all about waking up around here. Wake the F up. Wake the F up, moms. Like, and the reason <laughs> that we wake the F up is like our children are going to mirror a lot of our own insecurities. And the more we can practice mindfulness and just sitting in the, in the awareness of I'm being triggered right now. It's not this little baby's fault that they're triggering me, but this is some this is a mothering or fathering wound in me or whatever caregiver it was that gave you some of these stories. And let me go back and journal this out or, or untangle this hair, right? So that we can just sit and allow our children to feel and be without trying to change them to avoid them being this like version of us that we don't want to see in the world, which is it's hard. It's really, really hard. Yeah. Yeah. And I've, I've found even for my own state and some of it's early motherhood too, it may not be that I even have a problem in my own mind. It's I'm exhausted or I'm tired or I need to eat better or there's some, or I need to feed my spirit. Right. And that is where creativity comes into play from the dance side that, um, we all need some type of creative outlet that, uh, whether it's journaling or whatever that modality is, right. You need to sing, you need to go move, you need to, um, color, right? Like kids color all the time. And I started coloring so much more because the kids, it's such a peaceful thing to do. Um, 
And actually the yeah, polyvagal but- theory is like super big on this. So the it's an in-between state between sympathetic and, and ventral vagal. And like our home is in mm-hmm. ventral vagal. We want to be there as a human, but that's what makes us human. Actually, it's like 200 million years old. It's the newest part of mammalian. mammalian I can't even talk. Mammal state. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. But that's what makes us human. And and that that state is highly productive for healing our nervous system and it can umbrella a ton of different things where dance is a big one of that. And as a mom, you're right. We're exhausted. We need to find things to build resilience and flexibility in our nervous system. And movement is like a number one, the easiest thing, like get up. It's just such a fast pathway. Mm -hmm. It is such a quick solve. And that's part of why I said music earlier, because music kind of innately makes a lot of us want to kind of start to move and boogie. And so it's a pretty quick like switch change. It is. And in fact, like a lot of the exercises for these nervous system healers is to take someone exactly as you said, from a frozen state, literally shake and move your body around, and then it will bring you into sympathetic. And you cannot go to ventral vagal. The This is like your peace state where you feel like all is okay in the world. You can't get up there without movement. You can't get up there without movement, straight movement of the f- physical vessel, which is really empowering. And I think if you look at society and, and ancient cultures, how much dance played into these, like, and I don't, you know, the world has never been easy for any of us, but it's really like, there's been some harsh things where dance became ceremonial and it became a part of like grieving and healing. Um, Mm -hmm. Powerful. When you look at the history of dance. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot to it. I mean, even for cultures that had a lot of oppression and I'm thinking like slavery and Mm Afro-Caribbean culture specifically, the, um, the movement that would happen in celebration is really, uh, it's, it's big movement, right? There's a lot of hip movement. There's a lot of spinal movement. There's a lot of, uh, gyration and, and, mo- but what that would have done is to heal the body after being bent over all day, doing whatever effort they were backbreakingly do. So they're moving their body through all of these planes of motion and in, in quick tempos. And it solves the problem. It solves the physical ache. It can solve the emotional ache. It can build community. There's um, <clears throat> this term I love called muscular bonding. William H. McNeil is a historian that uh, kind of coined the term that when you move with other people, you bond with them and you become less of the individual and more of the self. Um, and so that brings empathy and all the other things that come with that, that are positive for the collective. So, um, go move with your people, (laughs) go get out there. And And actually like, it's interesting in your partnership with your husband, like this morning, David was hugging me goodbye. And like, we, we have this like whatever Bluetoothy kind of thing in our bathroom. And I think he had playlists on from the shower and it was like a really good song. And he was just like, kind of sway dancing, like, you know, he's like white man dancing mm-hmm. and pulled me in. And I was thinking like, it was such a nice way. David is out today. Sick with the man flu. God help us all. Sure. So that's why he's not here as co-hosting today. I was like, just lay down for everyone's sake, please. <laughs> but it was really nice. Like when he was kind of swaying mm-hmm. to this music a little bit, I was like, you know, I don't know. It's kind of magical to start your day. And it was like that builds a bit of safety in your partnerships and in your friendships. And you can think of those nights, like even like the crazy drunken nights in college where you're like, yeah, we booty shake and got ourselves on the dance floor. Like maybe we should have cut out the alcohol and substances that we were doing to get us there. But you woke up feeling like that was, I feel alive. I feel like that's a big part of this vibrancy that I think some yeah, because it brings vitality, right? It, mm-hmm. it it makes you feel alive because you felt the like tingles and the like connection mm-hmm. to others, and that that is a it's a healing thing in its own right, right? It's its own separate umbrella. Well, okay, so let's talk about uh, educated movement that you founded in 2022. I wanted to touch on yeah. this a little bit this forum. So educated movement for me is very much an amalgamation of a lot of the things that I've learned. For me in my movement space, I'm not the person to make my own method of movement. Um, I think that there are so many beautiful methods that already exist that who am I to say I know all the things about all the stuff. Um, And so I think many different movement modalities across many different Tight styles of motion. Um, I'll teach us something different. And so this is my way to bring what I know to the table from dance knowledge, from the Pilates space, from um, kinesiology and, and that type of movement perspective, along with some of the emotional components that um, come with moving our bodies and how we heal from the inside out. And so it will be very much my like 
way to teach movement from a technical place. Like I'll house Pilates there. I'll house some of my dance um, efforts and uh, things to learn about the body. But I want it to be a place where people come for a period of time. They learn a lot. Uh, maybe they stay or maybe they go on and live their life with whatever other trainer, but they have uh, elevated their somatic intelligence through that time to get deeper into connection, pull up more of that afferents, be able to uh, live a more vibrant existence um, inside themselves and to be a better discerner of movement. There's a lot in the marketplace and how to um, decide what you want to do with your own physical body and how to build the wisdom to care for it over over the course of time. I, well, I pride myself on being a... Sorry, go ahead. No, you're fine. I, I was saying I pride myself on being a multi-generational movement instructor. So it's movement for the long haul um, is what I would Which say. I love that. Because I think at a certain point, you can learn like certain athletic endeavors have a bit of a shelf life to them where we may not always be a high-level gymnast and we may not always be... I mean, you see competitive dancers and professional dancers are in, rampant in the Pilates industry because mm-hmm. at about you know, 25, 26 years old, sometimes it can be, um, a challenge both financially, but also, but sometimes really physically and the body can be injured on repeat. So Mm -hmm. it's cool to kind of have outlets for different, different lanes to go into after Pilates is a good one for that, of course, and many movement styles. Well, tell me, okay. So I talk about somatics a lot in, in this podcast, just because, um, I don't know, 10,000 hours of, of therapy. I'm also a therapy patient expert. <laughs> I did. And I am obsessed with my therapist. She's a high level trauma therapist, John Hopkins trained. She also does like a lot of woo woo. So she kind of hits both, both fronts. Uh, yeah. But somatics is, has literally taken me to a healing space of peace that I, I just, I don't think I even realized I was doing all this beautiful cognitive healing and clearing up stuff, but I couldn't get in peace in my body. Um, the PTSD still, still inflicts me a lot. And, um, I was wondering like, okay, maybe tell the listeners from your perspective, what is, what is somatics to you? I mean, obviously you can give the definition if you want, but like, what does it mean to you? And and how do you like to see it in in your day-to-day life? Sure. Um, for me, somatic intelligence is a lot about how the brain, the mind and the body work together in harmony. And, um, it's not a cognitive place. It's not a thinking place. It's a place of, uh, of feeling of state of being. So when I talk about elevating somatic intelligence, I'm talking about when I ask you to engage your abdominals, the whole thing goes on together, that the, there's a good order to the system. And from that technical standpoint, even to have the intelligence to recruit the brain and the body at the same time so you can have control over your flesh vehicle, right? We want to be able to control our body as much as we can. Um, I think even just that phrase of control our body is kind of faulty that we want to be with our body. And the somatic intelligence is a lot about being in the same time and space and state with your physicality as well as your mental mind. Um, And can we be in harmony, allowing the body to give us the signals and to process those without telling a different story on top of them to live that authentic um, internal experience. And that's really where wellness is in the in the physical body, right? Like many of us who are, it can be a blessing and a curse at a certain point when you get pretty tuned in, you can tell the smallest thing of like, I'm about to get sick or I have a little sniffle or uh, I can tell that pain starting to flag. But that nuance is what's so um, helpful and healing when you start to not just have like, oh, I've noticed this thing. And then uh, it's all the way in the other pendulum spectrum when it's on or when it's off instead of a small toggle. And so um, mm-hmm. elevating that somatic intelligence for me, for my students is about how do we find the small flag? Where's the, you know, uh, Deb Dana talks about the glimmers, right? That small noticing piece. Um, and, and to, to build our knowledge base for wisdom inside of what the body tells us. And that includes the spirit that includes, um, our creative life as well. It's a, it's a complete piece that body, mind, spirit thing, any movement modality across the course of time pretty much has that in there. Um, so we might as well acknowledge that and, and move forward. And that's, I think our world has changed post COVID. We see the value of what our bodies are telling us more than maybe we did before. And I'm, I'm hopeful to see the, the continued change in our culture that way. Um, I think the more tuned in we are, the more, the less binary we're going to be and the less combative we'll be. I think we'll be able to hold more space for uncomfortable in the middle 
moments. You literally just described my app. So I'm feeling. <laughs> Let's go there. Think because it really building resiliency in the nervous system and, and flexibility. Um, so being able to return to resiliency places is really, is really what being well is about. It's not about the fact that we're not going to get activated. We're not going to have injuries. We're not going to have pain and problems. It's that we want it. We want to toggle between being okay and being not okay, but being able to return back to um, eventual wakeful state. So being safe in the body and feeling able to connect with self and others. And there's a whole. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like I was thinking about us doing like a co lecture on co regulating ourselves with uh, our students because you got to think about like, okay, so now we're finally getting right with self and knowing thyself well enough to say I need A and B to be safe and connected. And then I'm like. Ooh, you add in another one-on-one student or even a group of students, it can be quite the energy exchange in the world. And so it's it's cool to think about how our nervous systems are all like co-regulating all the time. Well, okay, so let's let's ask you this. What is what do you think about some common misconceptions people are having about uh, emotional healing and mindfulness? <clears throat> common misconceptions people are having about mindfulness and emotional healing. Um that it's easy, <laughs> that right? Like you're not going to run up against the thing that's easy when you do it. You're going to run up against some ugly stuff, um, things that you may or may not like about yourself or your partner or your situation in life. Um, and then that place of discomfort is not easy to sit with, but that's where the change is, is really where it comes in. So um, to know, I think, especially for the newer practitioners of mindfulness or, um, you know, people that are kind of opening up their eyes to a new version of their healing journey, uh, it's not going to look amazing the whole time. You're going to have a pretty quick drop off of a cliff at some point um, mm -hmm. to then really learn your lesson um, or to, oops, excuse me, to find what it is that um, you need to work through. Yeah, no, so true. And people talk about that a lot. Like I remember uh, one of the episodes with Jamie, she was like just going to her therapy for the first time. She was like, I mean, it feels like everything's like getting worse. And I was laughing thinking like, yeah, hell yeah, it is going to get, it'll feel worse because you're, it's like shining a light on a lot of stuff that you have kept in the mm -hmm. dark. It's that sort of mindfulness in a general sense. The awareness helps us be able to see and seeing doesn't make it feel better for a while until we're able to process through it. Um, and then really kind of almost let control go of it where you're like, okay, I did this thing or I am this way and, and, or the world is this certain way that makes me feel these certain things. And some of what you can control is how you perceive and take stock and what's happening around you and how you navigate your life through the world. And then the rest of it, you kind of have to say, that's on you or, you know, and I'm not going to partake in that, or I need to do a certain A or B or C to get myself in a better space. So I really feel like the body does the same thing in just movement modalities as a, as a general healing principle as well. Like it's on the edge of that almost so discomfortable, so difficult, so like I'm not getting here. And then you make this like bodily breakthrough. Yeah. Uh, you find that? Yeah. Too? From like, yeah, like the physical analogy training, which I think is helpful for me to talk about like my experience to what I understand. The amount of energy it takes for a Pilates instructor to get a student up to the amount of effort it takes for their body to actually make change is a lot. Like we are holding space, we are encouraging, we are go, 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 you've got more, you've got more, you've got more. That like that moment where they're like, ah, like that's the moment where the body's hitting a new range of motion opportunity or you're collecting more cellular data inside the joint space for you to, to map up to your brain. So it's never at the comfortable place that you're making change. It's always at that very uncomfortable line. And it's always on that like fatigue to failure line. Like, are you on the line where it's going to work or is it about to blow off? And you've got to dance on that and, and learn the nuance. And that's that razor edge line we start to... Um, you know, the more uh, experienced teachers or as they become more experienced, know how to weave that in through a session. But in our emotional, emotional life, like you said it a second ago, am I doing it right? Even just mm -hmm. that thought of, is this enough? Is it okay? Um, can hamper your results of being able to go towards that, like, okay, I know it's got to be a difficult line and that's where I'm going. This is the training. This is the thing that's going to be good for me. Um, and it, 
it's, I think, especially for individuals that have had a lot of discomfort in their lives, it's hard to pull yourself to a place of being at discomfort that in itself can be triggering. Um, but then you build your arsenal of tools, right? What is it, What is the thing that you need to do to feel more safe in that moment? Or is it a type of modality of movement? Is it a type of meditation um, to help build that resilience? And that that's doing your bicep reps. And eventually that, that creates a moment. And then... Um, then there's a day with the physical training piece where the student comes in and their hips moving beautifully. And they're like, wow, that feels great. <laughs> like that feels, I, d- I didn't even notice that thing that six months ago was the, the thing that would do me in. And so that's, I think when we look back, when I talked about pulling up old pieces of myself, when you look back on those times where things were really, really difficult, you thought you were about to break, right? That's that's where we grow. And it's so cliche to say, but it's the truth. Um, and the more that we can find the like delight in being on that line, the more pleasurable experiences in life, because that's, that's where the good stuff is. I mean, I don't think we can have a better ending than what you just said, because I think that is essentially everything we both are teaching individually and as collective is the fact that we have to get mm-hmm. into discipline places in order to find true healing, both in the body and the heart. And it's so interesting to learn to balance and be comfortable in just an uncomfortable place, right? And especially in movement, like continuing to challenge yourself. I'm always the student that laughs at like the dumbest cues land, but when they land at the right times, it's like a cue I've heard a thousand million times. And I'm like, oh my God, pull your abs in with your legs here. And I'm like, I literally have taught that to students for 4 million times. But like in my body, it, my my body is a stubborn little beast. It likes to stay kind of tight and sticky. And eventually stuff will just start to work. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> that's what everyone's been meaning. And that's even what I'm meaning about that thing. So you have to be patient with yeah. yourself in healing. And you have to be patient with yourself in emotional healing. And, and sit with the discomfortable and say, it won't be like this forever. You know, it won't be like this forever. There'll be a whole new thing that you're uncomfortable with coming right around the corner. <laughs> yeah, that those are the moments you need a really healthy dose of self-compassion. And there's a whole mindfulness component around self-compassion um, with Kristen Neff and her work. But the, in those moments where things are hard, the more compassion and grace you can offer yourself and, oh, well, it's as good as it is. And being gentle with yourself is is really helpful. There's sometimes time for the push and but often the, a pull is stronger than a push. So go to the things you feel pulled towards and that can bring you more of that peace. It's true. And I, I think that we have to say that, you know, I did my best today and that was all I had to give, right? And that is good enough and, and I'm proud of myself. And so I'm so, so grateful that you came on. I mean, you're like a wealth of knowledge and I always love... Um, talking with you about all things movement and and all things life. I was thinking maybe we could end by you letting us know, um, you know, maybe just you can end it in any way you want, something that inspires you or maybe what your hopes are for the future and and kind of where people should follow you. I mean, I'm going to have all of our socials in the in the notes so you can dock us on um, both, you know, Instagram and all the places. We'll have her yeah. in the show notes here too on Apple and uh, Spotify. So. I mean, I think I'm in a space where, I don't know, 39 just sounds like I'm absolutely an adult, right? There's no getting around it. Um, And so finding more and more people like you in my world that I feel inspired by, that are doing inspiring things, right? That you just got more lighthouses out in your world and it just shines brighter. So um, I feel inspired for the next season, right? What the, the next flower comes out of the pot, because uh, it's a new one. Um, and I'm excited to see where it goes. And I, I'm thankful for this opportunity. It's um, something that I've wanted to do for a while is to jump on a podcast and be in this space. And so here we are. And it's a pleasure to do it with you. Oh my God, you're such a doll. And honestly, um, I'm going to stalk her until she gets on our app because it just needs to happen. So we'll post it's about coming. when that happens. Coming. <laughs> and no pressure because this company actually is different than most companies where I... I'm standing by my word for not just myself, but for others that I want people to like come when they're ready and come when they feel inspired and come when it feels like it's coming from that, that honest space where it's not hustle culture. It's like, I'm ready. And so take your time with your babies. I, you know, I think it's a sacred, sacred, so sacred time. And it's also a 
time where you might need extra glasses of wine from time to time. So we're, we're, we're holding space for you mm-hmm. in all the ways, <laughs> but I appreciate you, you so much. And, um, everyone look for Morgan. Okay. So she is all over the place, but you can hire her privately for Pilates. She's in the Dallas area teaching Pilates. She works for real Pilates, um, all well out of Dallas, but also the studio in Dallas, um, has been there forever Pilates methodology and she teaches in lots yeah. of different spaces around the globe. So, um, she's also, you know, yeah. teaching dance and lots of different things. So I will connect you to her and Morgan, thank you so much. Happy 39th birthday. Today is actually your birthday. Thank I'm you. Happy. I hope you have a whole dance party tonight in honor of your body and all the magical things it's done. And it's 39 years. Shake out the fact that you're going to be 40 next year. It's scary, I know. But as a girl who's already 40, um, I am going to say this. When you get past, like, you know, some of the physicality things about, like, maybe not being able to be as young as we once were, 40s have been pretty effing good in my world. And I'm, I think uh, it's a good decade to come. I feel like I'm about to ride my power pocket. Just sit a little. <laughs> That's sit my like- power and your power pocket. <laughs> I hope that everyone out there at 39 years old finds a power pocket. <laughs> there you go. Happy birthday go. on that note. I love you. I love you Thank so much. You. This has been Wake the F Up podcast hosted by Alex and David Long. Be sure to check out other episodes where our community of experts share tools and ideas to help you wake to the life inside of you. If you enjoyed this episode of Wake the F Up, please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Join the Wake community by downloading our app. Just search for The Wake Wellness in the Apple or Android App Store and follow us on Instagram at The Wake Wellness. Thanks for listening.